This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. If Homer Simpson had a Civil War ancestor, he would surely be the subject of today's biography, with nicknames like Old Clubby or Old Allegheny, a last name shared by everyone in the Civil War, Johnson, a gravesite forgotten even by the people who put him there, a man who was captured and wounded and captured again, uh, no one else but Ed Johnson could be the Simpsons forebearer. We'll talk with Johnson's biographer, Greg S. Clemmer, and learn about the life and wars of General Ed Johnson today on Civil War Talk Radio. Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the Internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. Answer the president's call to service. As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a senior Corps volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion. As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world. It's your chance to make it better. Apply online at nationalservice.org. The world is talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking with you on a lovely autumn day, 2008, early November. The leaves are turning here in North Carolina. They've already turned elsewhere in New England and the Midwest, but we're getting some nice color now as the days get cooler, uh, actual football weather is back, as opposed to that uh, ridiculous heat in which the ECU Pirates must play early in the season. I'm coming to you, as always, from the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking on behalf of the university, just expressing my own opinions, as my guest is sure to do as well. Uh, Looking ahead... There will not be a show, a new show next week. We'll we'll have to do a rerun. I will be off to uh, a a roundabout trip to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where I'll be on November 17th and 18th. Look forward to seeing some of you there. If you're attending the Lincoln Forum or the annual Gettysburg Address uh, commemoration festivities on the 19th, I'll be gone by then. But uh, if you're at the Lincoln Forum or just in town and we cross paths, that would be Always good to talk to Civil War talk radio listeners. Uh, This assumes, of course, that I'm still ambulatory at that point because on Saturday and Sunday and indeed Friday night before the Lincoln Forum, I will be attending the state games playing on the uh, combined Greenville and Greensboro men's over-50 soccer tournament uh, entry. Uh, We couldn't get enough codgers from Greenville, so we 
got the Green Greensboro, much larger town, to let us play on their team. And uh, myself, having just turned 50, I look forward eagerly to being the youngest guy in the field instead of the oldest guy in the over 40 team. And uh, maybe I can uh, uh, throw my weight around a little bit. Uh, so if if I'm not back next week, I'll be uh, uh, preparing for the following show uh, after the Gettysburg week, but uh, hopefully doing all this with all my limbs intact. We'll have to see how that goes. In Civil War news, before we get started today, uh, a reminder to everyone that there is a new Battle of the Wilderness underway here in 2008, this time attempting to uh, block the plans of Walmart to put a superstore in the middle of this sacred ground. Uh, there are already several Walmarts in that part of northern Virginia, and the idea of putting another one there seems uh, wrong-headed at best. If you're interested in helping to uh, join the campaign to stop this, uh, talk to the... Uh, uh, you'll want to get in touch with... Uh, let's find them here. The National Trust for Historic Preservation... Uh, is one group that is fighting this. The Civil War Preservation Trust is fighting this. Uh, many local uh, preservation groups are fighting this, and I hope you'll consider supporting them with your uh, good thoughts and uh, perhaps money as well. These efforts are not necessarily in vain, and I mention this because locally here in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, we don't have... Uh, Civil War sites right here in town, although there are some not far, uh, Fort Branch, for example, or Fort Macon. But uh, the local city council voted just last night uh, to uh, turn down a local developer's plan to put a giant Walmart in a residential neighborhood not too far from my house. Uh, I was pleased from a not-in-my-backyard perspective, but also from an urban planning perspective, and even more from a recognition that Walmart is not unstoppable. Uh, and if local uh, people with a longer view to what is really good uh, for a country's uh, soul as well as its economy uh, take a look at things, they can stop projects like uh, a Walmart on the wilderness battlefield. Uh, it can be done. Uh, it has been done in the past, and uh, I'm confident it will be done again. But uh, every Civil War enthusiast needs to pitch in and say what they can to prevent this kind of uh, unfortunate development from taking place. So enough of current battles in the wilderness. We're going to talk today uh, about the original wilderness battle and many other battles in the uh, career of Confederate General uh, Ed Johnson uh, with our guest Greg Clemmer. Uh, Greg, are you there? Oh yes, I'm right here listening to you. Wonderful. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, you've written a book here called Old Allegheny, The Life and Wars of uh, Ed Johnson. It's a big book. It's uh, uh, many hundreds of pages long and uh, quite interesting. But my first question to you is uh, what brought you to this, this particular figure, uh, Ed Johnson? Has anyone else written about him, and, and what brought you to write about him? You anticipated the answer. Um, no one's written about him, and in fact, when I began to float the idea of doing a bio on Ed, I was warned um, by some pretty big names in the in the Civil War uh, field that Ed Johnson has no story, that he's a obscure, odd, vulgar, peculiar, um, 
and even a mediocre commander who really doesn't have much to say. And um, someone actually called him a dullard. I had to go look that word up. <laughs> uh, dim bulb. And um, I'm sort of a stubborn fellow myself. And being in the Washington, D.C. area with access to the National Archives and Library of Congress, I could uh, uh, float some time and go and check for myself about it. And I began to find some neat stuff. Um, I was warned about that proverbial cache of letters out there uh, that Johnson did not have. He didn't have any any memoir or, or diary. Um, and that there wouldn't really be much I could cobble together to give a, a history on this man. And yet so many books that come out, um, I'll get on my soapbox here and maybe anticipate another question, but um, you know, how many more books do we really need on... Longstreet or Custer or Grant or, heaven forbid, Lincoln. Someone has told me recently we have 60-some new books coming out about Abraham Lincoln next year because of his um, his 200th birthday. And when I ask this question to, to groups that I speak to, I'll sort of throw it out there, and they'll look back at you, and I'll tell them, well, we get these books because they continue to sell. Uh, it's a lot of it repackaged the same information, but... Um, they put a good, flashy dust jacket on the cover, and it sells in the, the battlefield gift shops and military uh, book dealers, one thing or another. Ed Johnson is an unknown. Does he have a story? And at the end of a talk that I might give on Ed Johnson, I come to that conclusion. Maybe we'll reach that today. <laughs> well, I will first of all agree with you that uh, we don't need any more books on Abraham Lincoln not since the publication of Did Lincoln Own Slaves and Other Frequently Asked Questions yes. about Abraham Lincoln. That <laughs> has wrapped up the Lincoln market. <laughs> I thought I'd spur you on there a little bit with that job. We, go we got that one in there. Uh, yeah. So as long as, uh, once you've read that book, you're done reading about Lincoln. Um, <laughs> but with Johnson, you're right, there is no competition. Now, some listeners to this show might be thinking, uh, checking their schedule, say, is this not a rerun? Uh, didn't we have this exact conversation uh, I believe it was two weeks ago, with Daryl Collins, who has written a biography of Robert Rhodes, another division commander uh, uh, in the Second Corps, for that matter, of, of the Army of Northern Virginia at Gettysburg, along with Ed Johnson. Um, uh, and Daryl was saying exactly the same things you were saying. No one's written about his guy. Uh, there's no collection of papers out there easily accessible. Uh, people warned him. I wonder if the same people warned him as warned you. I don't know. He, he probably, I've never met him. Um, of course, his wife burned his letters. Johnson never had a wife. Um, but the curious thing was, and I've, I've come to believe in this fervently, that if you really do plow fields beyond the, the fields that most Civil War historians plow, in other words, uh, if he served in the Mexican War, go to Mexico. If he was in the Western Theater, go to California, go to Utah. Physically go there. Search in the places that most Civil War historians don't go. Um, there are a number of people that I would not name on your program, but the, the readers can figure out who they are, who crank out that proverbial one book every 18 months. And it's about these, these previously biographed uh, individuals from the war, and they're cranking out these military biographies in that if the person is 27 years old when 1861 rolls around, you get 27 pages on the first 27 years of their life, then 400 pages pounding through war between the states, and if they survive, another 15 to 20 pages on what they did for the next 30 years. I tell people when I speak to them that you're being cheated. You're not getting the full balance of who this person was. 
but the reason the book is there is because it's relatively easy to 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 research the war between the states part but let's go to west point i've got three chapters on johnson at west point i didn't beat him to death i hope it's not um boring it is a rough place to be in the winter time um, I, I, I plow through three chapters with the Mexican War with Johnson, not because it, it's not relevant, but it is indeed relevant. But who is this man when 1861 well, comes around? Let me ask you a, a question: uh, How do you have? How do you find the opportunity to go to Mexico, to go to California, to go to West Point? Uh, is, is do you have a day job? Uh, what else goes on in your life to to let you do all these? Well, things? I'm I'm employed. This is I am not in academia. I, I work for. Uh, the largest private medical philanthropy in the world, the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. But I've also taken 12 years of my life to write this book. Ah. It was not something I wanted to rush into print. You know, just you're an author too, Jerry. Uh, once you're dead and gone, the few things that we leave behind in this world are tombstones and books. You and I will leave behind both, hopefully, unless we go down on something like the Titanic. Um, you want that book that has your name on it to be your very best effort. And when I finished Johnson, I realized that I had gone to places and, and seen sources. I found two caches of Johnson letters. Uh, one of my reviewers, who obviously only read the dust jacket, said that there were no Johnson letters out there. Well, he didn't even read the, the, the bibliography at the end and the, the footnotes. And I found some wonderful stuff. The cool thing about Johnson's letters that... The, the ones that are not in the, the archives, of course, which are going to be standard uh, requisitions and, and some war orders and that kind of thing. But the private personal letters, they're all to and from young women half his age. Gold, if you're mm. a historian. Wonderful stuff. Juicy stuff. Now, uh, again, taking the, the Daryl Collins example for his Rhodes biography, he said, uh, faced with the same problem you had of, of no, no central depository of... of papers on his subject, that he explored the papers of people that, that Rhodes might have written to, uh, that, that he, went, he looked for descriptions of Rhodes in other people's diaries and memoirs and so on. Uh, did you do much of that, looking at, at third-party sources, uh, things about Johnson? When I, was, when I was making this decision to do Johnson, um, I knew of him because I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia. I lived about, a, about an hour from McDowell, where he was wounded in the ankle. And one of the early things I found about Johnson was that the myth of the lost cause um, has that as a victory in Stonewall Jackson's camp. Um, I've got news for folks. Uh, Johnson, uh, Jackson never set foot on the McDowell battlefield until after the fighting was over. Johnson was wounded on it. And, in fact, what really got me uh, fired up was there's this wonderful quote in a Lynchburg, Virginian talking about who can doubt when Jackson speaks uh, like the Christian hero that he is, he ascribes the victory to the Lord of hosts. I'm reading this now. <laughs> Long live Jackson. May an overruling providence shield him in the day of battle and preserve him to, dis to drive the enemies out of our fair land that they have despoiled. And I knew that wasn't right. So I started digging deeper. I was in Richmond, and I went to the, the Virginia State Library. And in the um, about the June 4th or 5th issue of the Richmond Observer, not on the first page, but on the fourth page, and in four-point font rather than 12-point font, there was a correction saying that we wish to correct a general impression that instead of Jackson's army fighting at McDowell, it was primarily the old army of the Northwest commanded by General Ed Johnson of the city. 
And I thought, there's the rest of the story, just like Paul Harvey would say. There's the rest of the story. Maybe this man does have a story. And that's when I began to dig. And that's when that, that marvelous word in the English language, serendipity, jumps out and bites you on the rear end. You start finding out neat stuff. And the more questions you ask, and the harder you hunt, and you're not under the pressure of, of academia. You can take your time and um, not get it right, but get it thorough. That's when you start to find the good stuff. Well, that is, a, as you say, it's a luxury for, for people uh, trying to get jobs in academia or trying to secure tenure or promotion. Uh, there's that pressure to publish. And the that's right opportunity to do what you did uh, does help avoid that. That's a subject that's come up many times on this show, why so many uh, really interesting Civil War books are written by people outside of uh, the historical profession, that is, people who do it for a living. And, and I think you really hit on something there, that uh, the the tradition, the, the gentleman amateur historian uh, tradition, uh, going back to Francis Parkman, uh, gives people the opportunity, the leisure to spend, as, you, as you've done, 12 years on a book, uh, to travel widely, to dig deeply. Uh, that's something that uh, isn't always the opportunity for the professional scholar. That's right. That's right. Um, some of the things that you do find out, and they're, they're more of little asterisks that you can put note one thing or another. Johnson happened to be shipwrecked in the Gulf of Mexico while trying to make his way back to his units. Uh, in that Chanticleer Island chain that's just east of uh, the Mississippi Delta. Um, one of the examples that I use when I speak on Johnson about why it's important to go into a man's life or a woman's life before the, the principal events that set them up into fame or infamy, whatever, uh, is that you do get the background, and there are lots of little interconnections that will come back later. And the example I use is the Grattan Massacre. Now, most people aren't aware or even have heard of the Grattan Massacre, but in 1854, uh, with the westward expansion, the Mormons were going west. Gold's been discovered times five or six years. At Fort Laramie, part of the 6th U.S. Infantry, we're talking U.S. Army, was at Fort Laramie. And Johnson was uh, several hundred miles to the east at Fort Kearney. And there's a, um, two companies that are stationed at, uh, at uh, Fort Laramie. And the Indians are camped eight miles to the east of the fort, a little place called Lingle, Wyoming, today. And the post was commanded by Second Lieutenant Fleming. And his second in command was this, this uh, second, rapid second lieutenant, uh, Grattan. And Grattan evidently could prevail over Fleming through force of personality that with the next Indian difficulty, let me take care of it because any ten of us can whip any 50 Indians with that kind of arrogance. Well, he gets his chance on the 19th of August, 1854. Um, Johnson uh, is, has nowhere near, uh, near uh, Fort Laramie, but uh, an oxen strays. The Indians catch this oxen. Uh, he is reported, this Indian high forehead, is reported back to the post, and uh, Grattan prevails uh, gets 30 volunteers and an interpreter who probably proceeds to get drunk, goes out to the Indians, demands high forehead be turned over. A little bear, who's the chief, says, no, we're not going to do that. Grattan is determined to make a name for himself. They argue back and forth. And finally, he sets off his one cannon, and his 30 muskets are leveled. They blow at the top of a teepee. And then after that, it's all Sioux. The only way they can identify Grattan is by his watch. And this is the first of the three great 
all white men are killed massacres that we have in the West. The next one will be the Fetterman, and then there's that affair in 1876 with uh, Custer. But the Grattan one is the one that's forgotten. Johnson is sent out to Fort Laramie to investigate this. It was in his regiment. And he's out there with his colonel, Colonel William Hoffman, and they investigate this. And Johnson sends back, uh, he interviews several Indians who were not there that day, but he sends back this report to Washington, to the Secretary of War, and basically says, it's our fault. Well, you just don't send that back to Washington. He was, he was making these comments about the Grattan Massacre, um, that it was our fault, and this lands on the desk of the Secretary of War. The Secretary of War doesn't even pay any attention to what Johnson has to say. He excoriates Johnson. Well, why is all this important? Why is it going into this obscure affair at West? Because the Secretary of War was Jefferson Davis. And when 1861 comes along, seven years later, it's Davis who hands out and says, I want this man to be a colonel, I want this man to be a general. And that's why Johnson starts off the American Civil War as simply colonel of the 12th Georgia and is sent into the depths of what is now West Virginia, uh, essentially to be assigned and forgotten. The only thing is, history will say something else and he will not be forgotten. So uh, an episode like this, not commonly known, uh, has its echoes uh, in wartime, and it's important in, in itself as, as well, as are some of the other episodes you talk about early in Johnson's life. Just like serendipity, one little thing just snipped out of this Scranton thing. In the ranks that day, down in the ravines, watching all this, was a young 14-year-old boy whom history would hear from later. Crazy horse. So the echoes do continue. We're going to take a short break right now. We'll come back in just a minute. We're talking with Greg Clemmer, author of Old Allegheny. It's a biography of Ed Johnson. And we are listening and performing Civil War Talk Radio. 